You're listening to Badass Ladyfolk, a podcast about socially engaged women and non-binary femmes kicking buns big and small. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. That intro music came from the song Talking Hands by Toxic Moxie. As I mentioned the last few episodes, this is a reboot of my Radio Free Brooklyn show, The Badass Lady Folk of Brooklyn. Now, Quail Bell Press and Productions is producing this podcast for and about incredible women and non-binary femmes from around the world. This episode, my guest is visual artist Cecilia Andre. Welcome, Cecilia. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Yeah, so happy to have you. Cecilia is a painter from a family of Lebanese immigrants to Brazil. She has lived and worked in New York City since 1991. With an extensive background in art education, Cecilia has taught color theory at the La Sara Segal Museum, painting at Sao Paulo Cultural Center and Equipe School in Brazil, and art and mythology at PS6 in New York. She sustains a long-time studio teaching practice and has curated tours of contemporary art galleries throughout New York City for the past eight years. Her most recent solo show was held at Plaxel Gallery in Long Island City, and she currently has artwork, beautiful artwork, on display at the Queen's Botanical Garden as an Enclave Arts Alliance Fellow. And that's actually how I met Cecilia. We have worked in the same exhibition curated by the wonderful Dario Moore. Cecilia also has artwork in the most recent edition of Feral, a journal of poetry and art. I'll be dropping the link to that in the show notes. And dear listeners, you will also find many links to Cecilia's artwork in the show notes so you can see samples for yourself even while you follow the conversation. So Cecilia, I'd love to first discuss your connection to Long Island City in Queens. Could you talk about what the neighborhood means to you and also the studio space that you had there for seven years? Oh, great. Uh, Long Island City is a place very near and dear to my heart because um, I've had studios all over the city. I actually raised my daughters in, uh, in Manhattan and close so I had to have a studio close to their public school but uh, after that I purposely looked for a neighborhood that was more artistic and diverse and being Brazilian you know Queens seemed excellent and um, the community uh, you know of artists I, I was part of an artist building was very interesting. I became part of uh, the Long Island City Artists and um, where I did this last show. Also showed at like Long Island City Corner Cafe, like this locally owned, very cute place that has a monthly calendar for artists. I, I really support and like this kind of uh, closer community that goes against this New York City anonymity, you know, you know, no one, so. Yeah, so what was your studio space in Long Island City like? Sort of what was the atmosphere? It was like a uh, four-story building that ran from one block to another. It had been industrial. 
I met one of the former owners, you know, it had all kinds of uses, but it was transformed to an artist space only. Uh, I mean, it, it was more of a, a, a raw space, but well used. It was nicely administrated. So it was wonderful. I shared it, my studio with one other person, but large ceilings, you know, interesting place to be. Yeah, with four floors, there must have been a lot of artists in that building. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought there would be more interaction. I got to know maybe five or six artists from all the floors, but it each floor was locked. You know, there was still some of that New York standoffishness, let's say. Ah. Uh. All right, well, let's move on to your most recent solo show then, Towards Light and Color, held in 2019 at Plaxel Gallery, also in Long Island City. How would you describe the concept, the aesthetics, and the material approach to the exhibition? Well, um, I would say that um, in the Plaxel Gallery, um, I ha I came from a background of being a more traditional painter, you know, on stretchers and everything, and gravitated towards being a textile artist in the sense that I started using stitching and piecing and incorporating like heirloom fabrics. And I, I, I like this kind of appropriation, reappropriation and upcycling and this whole idea of uh, the women's work before me, you know, into the work. But I also was a bit of a rebel in the sense that I wanted to show really large works, when, you know, when I was doing my paintings. And the only place I could find that would accept the amount of work I wanted was um, figment arts festival in the summer right when um the governor's island was open to the public and it was really cool to introduce people to that area and they let me hang huge paintings on fences but um i would say my head started drifting towards this outdoors and i went to two different residencies um that was geared towards outdoor work that I got accepted to both in Brazil. And then I started working with uh, transparencies and plastics. So at, Pl at Plaxo Gallery show, I did a mix of putting uh, work on stretchers, like more some pieced fabrics, but a lot of them were already um, transparencies. So I hung all the my work on the stretchers at a five inch distance from the wall. And as the light hit them, they, it's almost as the artwork interacted with their own colored shadows on the wall. And it was the first time I had the chance to do two very large pieces. Right in front, they have a garage door that is uh, with glass right in front. So I, I hung two of those pieces, which I had done in a collaboration with um, 
a purveyor of, of chocolates that produce their, their chocolates from cocoa beans from these areas, you know, and I love those jute bags that smelled of the beans. So I was preparing it for them and then they had to move, but it, you know, I made these huge pieces that almost looked a bit like a rainbow in colors and then the light would stream into the gallery and that was my uh, towards light and color show. Oh, neat. So the, the color transparency part, that is cellophane or photo light gel? What is that? Um, well, I, I've been using uh, a vinyl plastics oh. from canal plastics that you get in a, a roll because that was portable to take to my residencies and I got to experience how they work outdoors a bit, you know, their resistance. Yeah, and it seems like the exhibition at Plaxel received several write-ups. I'm curious about what, and all glowing reviews, I'm curious <laughs> yeah. about the kind of response you heard, uh, not just from critics, but from everyday visitors or other artists. What did they think of these, uh, these color transparencies? It, it was, uh, um, I think, for me, it was very um, gratifying and intriguing because I don't think people have the chance that much to see the transformation of light into color. And I, I gave a workshop, I'm actually two workshops, so that people could do small wire sculptures with this material. I use sewing and stitching to stitch it on. So it becomes something they could use at, at, at their windows, you know, so I think it was a very wonderful response and it was right at the entrance of the gallery. So it was a big show, but those, those industrial spaces of Plaxall galleries are so big that then you continued on and you saw many other artists, like a huge party <laughs> before COVID, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you, since you mentioned women's work earlier and just again referenced the sewing, is sewing something that you learned as a little girl from your mother or other female relatives or is it something that you taught yourself later on? Um, I would say that because of being a rebel in a sense, I liked doing sewing that was my own kind of sewing. And it was highly discouraged because, you know, uh, I like to use like the covering of mattresses because you could see the weave, the wharf, and the weft. I used to like to do my own clothing and it, it was a mess, you know? So I was, I used to say, can I take the, the, the sewing machine to the studio, you know, as I got older, oh no, you, you can paint, but don't sew, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and then, as I got older, I was like, well, but why not? You know, no, I can sew as well. Because I think I do very bad stitching. You know, <laughs> my stitches are like, um, like paint brushes, you know, like uh, strokes. I don't like to do like needlework one by one. I don't like to know where it's going. I like it to be as chaotic as the rest of my art. 
Yes. <laughs> beautifully <English>. put. <laughs> So you're a member of the Long Island City Artist Coalition, an arts advocacy organization, also in Long Island City. Would you talk about your experience as a member of this organization, like how you found it, why you wanted to join, just anything about this experience? Well, I, you know, I, I, I like the idea of artists organizing. I've been part of the New York Artist Circle forever. Um, I took people to see the Long Island's open studio because my building didn't permit it. But then I was like, no, but this has to be seen by other people. So I made tours and took people. I really like that idea of organizing. I, I think they do a good job of uh, promoting their, the spaces they have, the artists around there. So. I was very honored to be given this chance to do such a big comprehensive show in in their their gallery. Oh, that's right. So the Arts Coalition their home base is Plaxville Gallery, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, okay. At, at the moment, I don't I think they're in flux. I don't think they are anymore. I participated in a show there on 2020 um a group show but i'm not sure that they were going to continue being based right there at plaxo so ah could you talk about the 2020 show um it was called someone will remember us even from another time and um it was about women's work as well and the celebration of the you know having achieved the 19th amendment and um and i guess because my work had all this stitching and feminine work in it it was a beautifully put together show yeah and because it was such a large space there were all these music events going on in the parking lot of what is now Culture Lab that used to be integrated with uh, Long Island City artists. And, um, and the curators had asked me actually to do a piece to, that was outdoors so that people would um, migrate from the parking lot music to the gallery that the entrance was through the back. But you had to follow the river to get there. So I proposed this piece, which would show like a school of fish swimming towards there. But in the end, you know, the, the, the culture lab didn't want me to use that space and so forth. So it became one of the works in the current show, which we'll talk later at the Botanical Gardens. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, yes, we will. Definitely. So why do you think it's important for arts advocacy organizations to exist? You already started to touch on this. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, um, I think that artists have a, a lot of power as they, you know, exchange ideas, as they help each other, um, as their c concepts get shown you know and i one of these things that i would say is also 
it's almost like a dance, you know, when you're on the dance floor, you see how other people are doing it, in what way, as I started to take people, you know, to see art shows around the city, it was very surprising, you know, how things kind of seem to pop up in a synchronicity. So I think I've, I, I believe strongly in, um, in artists, networking, exchanging ideas. I think some of our work is very lonely and individual, but a good part of it is also uh, this interconnection. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. All right. Well, since you already teased it out, let's move to your work with Enclave Arts Alliance, which has advocated for its six selected female artists of diverse ethnicities with connection to immigration to exhibit work at the Queen's Botanical Garden. Uh, and that includes the summer show, the winter show, which we'll get into. How did you find out about Enclave? Well, to my surprise and total happiness, I was chosen from being part of the Long Island City Artists, which is one of the links you put up, you know, and, um, and Dario Moore, who is the head of this organization, saw my work and asked if I would be interested in a garden project outdoors, which was exactly what I had been um, developing for so many years. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> So was that then, is the Queen's Botanical Garden the first opportunity that you've had to show truly outdoors in New York City? Yes, in New York City, it was the first time I was showing truly outdoors. Okay, because the transparency work you had developed in Brazil at the residencies, right? Mm -hmm. And then here in New York, you had shown things in windows or walkways, mm -hmm. but not truly outside just exactly. close to outside <laughs> exactly when you actually when you leave things out like this it's a whole other experience i had shown for four consecutive years at figment um festival but it was all right just for a weekend and it was not yet i was not yet to the point of transparencies although uh, two of the works were installations so yeah, no, it was an amazing opportunity for me. Yeah, could you describe for listeners who I hope will visit the links and see photos, but could you just give them an oral description of the transparencies that you had at the Queen's Botanical Garden over the summer? Mm -hmm. um, well, I worked with on transparent fabric, um, and I just wanted to say that uh, uh, after this last residency and right before the uh, close down, my mother passed away in Brazil. Uh -huh. And one of the things that I found right after she passed away, and I was already thinking about the garden project and I already had the invitation, were um, three large fabrics and I used them all for the botanical garden. So I would say that these were um, the ones I did um, in the summer. I used two large pieces of tulle, and which is um, not only completely 
uh, shear for the light going through it, but also, you know, rain and other things pass right through it. So on these large pieces of tool, I stitched the transparencies and I did um, three different pieces. Two of them on the tool were tied to tree branches. So it's a long horizontal pieces um, and not so wide, you know, maybe um, 20 feet by uh, five feet wide and uh, but um, tied to the branches and one of them like in an apple orchard with older trees so not so many leaves and the the sun would filter through these colored pieces the one called rainbow squared it has a continuum of colors but the the edges of the pieces are geometric and you see that continuum and if people when people stand under them all those colors and those shapes are stenciled on them and the other one I, I did with circular shapes. And instead of a continuum, they're all speckled different colors. And I called it blossom because as the sun comes up or shines through them, the, the, the ground underneath them was a, like a straw color, very light. And then you had the impression that flowers were blossoming, you know, but kind of, you know, odd flowers. <laughs> and um, the third one was the only one I did on a, a different piece I had been working with, which more uh, like an orga organza, I think it's called, mm -hmm. a sheer fabric that I put on the, on the gates parallel to the outside. It was a piece I had made for my home studio that I used during COVID and I kind of transposed it and it was really sweet because I collaborated with Dylan at the botanical gardens and he said oh wouldn't it be nice to have something that the community would see even without them coming into the garden you know so right they could see it from the sidewalk just outside from, of yeah. the garden yeah neat yeah yeah. So uh, I'm very sorry to hear about your mother. The yeah. the rolls of fabric were at her home in Brazil, or they exactly. okay? And was that your childhood home? Um, she, no, she had moved to that home about uh, seven or eight years previous. Uh, but it was a really wonderful place, and my mother kept amazing things she was you know she wasn't a hoarder but she was a keeper let's say <laughs> very competent keeper yeah <laughs> do you still have any of the fabric left over from the rolls or you used everything for art? I, part of my purpose was to use everything you know and um uh, two of the pieces that I have up in the current show are made with completely with her, these other two pieces that were not as sheer, you know, that they were um, um, a white linen and a blue cotton, but they were, I don't know, I have, I love this kind of um, way my mother and grandmother used to uh, keep all these fabrics. They were so well folded, you know, like it was almost like, I don't know, when 
I had the chance to go to Egypt and visit like their, all that tradition of the, of the tombs and they discovered and, and for them, you could see the, their linens, they were like, like gold, you know, and even the way they mummified people, it was so, everything was so beautifully wrapped in, in those linen pieces, you know, so I, I don't know, I, I have that with me still. Yeah, well, would your family use the fabric to make things or it was more so they, they had this collection or a little bit of both? <laughs> I would, well, they were not so much makers. They were pretty well off immigrants. So they had like a seamstress where they would make whatever they wanted. But uh, also like my, um, there the the women had this thing of helping other communities so there were so i have an aunt who was in charge of this huge of this community in santos a, a connected city to the port city of sao paulo where there were embroidery women so my my mother cost continuously my grandmother and then my mother purchased things from my aunt and I find those works so amazing, you know, uh, so they do have an authorship. And one thing that confirmed it is that I have a, a piece that I hung in my living room and, the, and my cousin, the daughter, the, the son of this aunt came to visit and he looked and he, and I said, this is one of the pieces of your mom who had since passed away as well. And he said, I know exactly who was the seamstress because she liked to do the middle of the flowers in this way, you know, and I, I, I love, I, I, I like the traditions, but I like the traditions of women's work, you know, women supporting other women and and that kind of reverence they had for the material. I know I was the black sheep and I always would like to come in in a different way that they kept things, you know, kind of messed up their order of things. But in my way, I would think I'm also a keeper of traditions, yeah. Yeah, neat. So could you describe, just as you did with the summer show pieces, the work that you have at the Queen's Botanical Garden now? Oh, yeah, I, I mean, one more wonderful thing Dario did other than curating the, the summer show and making a film about it called Artists and Masks and uh, that whole season, the tour and everything was he in, in arranged with the botanical garden and invited us for an indoor show but at that point i must say my work was so big you know so <laughs> when uh, dylan from the botanical garden gave us uh, a tour on zoom again of where the gallery was he offered uh, side spaces and i thought those would be more appropriate for the size of the work I was doing. And one of the pieces I had made for the Long Island City Artist and that was not used, I got to use there called Follow the River. But then I did the, the third and 
last piece of the trilogy, which I was so happy about, is called Puzzle. It's made, it, and it hangs right on a window. And even though the show is called From the Inside Looking Out, my work is actually for people who are outside looking in, because you can't even get into those rooms now. One is a conference room. They're both annexed to the gallery. And the other is uh, the room in front of the auditorium. But um, the puzzle is like a, that cotton piece. You know, I, I cut into uh, the fabric in a way that once I split it in two, it could be recombined, you know, like a puzzle. So it was a, a, a long strip that became uh, opened up in two parts. And then it was sewn into these color transparencies. However, the color transparencies are not conducive for you to understand it's a puzzle. It doesn't exactly fit together and the colors are yellow, orange, green, you know, they're kind of busy. But <laughs> I, I, the idea was like, you know, even though it was a very soul, you know, sometimes you go through a morning, it's, you think about it, it's with you all the time. It was already like, like everyday life takes you from that. So you don't always see, you know, this kind of uh, sadness you're processing. It becomes in a, in this kind of place. So I, it was very wonderful to have been able to not only do this, but put it up and at the end when we installed was like the end of the afternoon and we were actually installing together and they had turned on the lights and it, it was wintry the garden was getting dark it looked so wonderful through the windows as if the you know the work had been was talking to the architecture another thing i'm very fond of and that building of the Queen's Botanical Gardens, I really invite everyone to walk walk around it, walk into it. It's a beautiful piece of art. It's surrounded by water and so it was terrific. And the last piece I did for that show, um, it is, um, it's called Flying Fish and it stays in a, a corner window where actually People do walk a lot because that's where they go towards a ramp to using the restrooms. <laughs> it's very, you know, I could, as I installed, I could see how much it caught their attention. It's a very, uh, it's an iridescent film, and all, and the fish are painted on it, and um, it was very lovely to do that and to be there and to use those spaces. So. It, th that show will be up until April 4th. So yes, so listeners, yeah. please go see it. Yeah. Cecilia, can you talk about, uh, you did, of course, mention the way light interacts with the pieces um, that you've been working on, but also the ones you have the botanical garden now. Could you talk also about reflection? Because at the Queen's Botanical Garden, the gallery, as you mentioned, is surrounded by water, has a little stream that goes by it. And I noticed that your work uh, plays with the waves and the reflections on the water and through the glass and on the walls. 
-hmm. could you talk about what you saw or or was that all a happy accident how much of that was planned and how much of that was a coincidence i i think to a point it was a coincidence because um the um, follow the river i did for the east river that was right next to the plaxo uh buildings there or culture lab or you know all those big industrial buildings that are right by a, a branch an arm of the of it's called annabelle basin there on in long island city so um i guess it, it just kind of evolves in the studio i i really have this um it's been like a love affair you know of this work of being able to do work straight on a material that that filters the light and to have it outdoors in a way that it doesn't um that it that it can withstand the weather and and people can interact with that phenomena because i find that in our language we don't have enough words not only for colors not but also colors in in the light it's mm -hmm. you know maybe they're prismatic colors i don't have even the words to say I can call them colored shadows, but the shadows are so different from the colors when they're when the light seeps through them. So it, it was a very happy accident or surprise when I went from the works in the summer that were rainbow squared and blossom into the um, follow the river because I had never worked with shadow versus uh, colored shadow. Mm -hmm. And when I did that piece, it's so big, it's 23 feet. <laughs> I did it in my house, in my apartment, but I couldn't see it. So I asked my colleagues that I practiced Tai Chi with, if you know, we were doing a socially distanced thing outside. I said, would you come early just so I can see it open? I need more hands. <laughs> and they were so, nice to come and and lift it and then a passerby had a white t-shirt could you please stand under it so i could see the reflections it was very you know home spun trial of the piece but it it worked beautifully so that connection of shadows to colored things and now my quest has been in future projects i've asked you know like um in three different sculpture spaces, outdoor opportunities, if I can develop it in a more industrial way that will withstand the weather better. Because my ultimate goal is for people to interact with it, to experience that, and maybe even find words for it, you know, and um, I, that this dematerialized play with colors in a way that is not so dependent on projections like they were in this you know in the disco era or in like this van gogh show that's coming you know where it's all controlled with different gel lights or theatrical i wanted it like more within a natural setting you know uh, like more in nature and in surprising places or 
in a way that I felt people can, I feel people can be more playful with it, you know? Yeah, actually the comments on natural lighting um, made me think about how the color transparency are a lot like photography in a way, even though they're very tactile and there is definitely the painter's touch and the uh, textile artist's touch, the way they interact with the light reminds me of how photographers think of light throughout the day, uh, being aware of golden hour, being aware of when it's going to become dark or when the sun rises. Did you find yourself studying light in, in that way? Or it was more just, let me see what happens. Oh, happy accident. <laughs> yeah, I think I was learning throughout my, uh, my pieces. You know, they were the ones that were pulling me. And I love that way of learning, you know, a bit of a rebel student. I like to, you know, I, I, I mean, I like to kind of jump into this unknowingness and I love dreams and the unconscious. So I, if somebody says you must do this or you must study that for sure, I will not. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, so my work kind of pulled me through that and one of our fellow uh, enclave fellows Natalie who is a photographer she was pointing out to me how you know these connections between right. the, the light the study of light and photographers I, I, I was delighted but no it was not thought out it's not on purpose it just you know it drags me into different areas and I'm and I'm very happy to be dragged into things in that way you know I feel that if my work weaves itself and becomes something I, I'm I'm a happy camper <laughs> uh, all right could you actually speaking of another fellow could you talk about just what this experience with Enclave of the Queen's Botanical Garden has given you in terms of inspiration uh, encouragement, a connection to other artists and the Queen's community? Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I really felt this, this um, opportunity that Enclave gave the Garden Project, which now is in their third edition, was wonderful for my career, for my work, because well, in first place, I got to meet Dario, who's such an interesting person and, and interested, you know, very um, embodies this ideal of the artist that is um, willing to connect and, you know, open-minded. Then I got to meet the other Enclave fellows, which is yourself and other for amazing artists. Another one was even Brazilian, Mariana, you know, and just such beautiful work and stories. And I, I felt that we, um, it was a challenge to understand the botanical gardens via a Zoom meeting and not go there ourselves. You know, the whole year was a challenge, but on the other hand, how fortuitous to have 
uh, work in a garden where people could go socially distanced. They hadn't seen art in so long. And there we are, you know, there's the work. And on top of it, Dario has this amazing idea and, and proposes to us, would you put your work up even before the garden is open, even before we know if it will be open to the public in COVID times, and I will make a film. Wow, what could be cooler than that, you know? Yeah, he was made it wonderfully. It was terrific. After we put the, I put the work out the first day and we filmed it and so forth, I rolled my work into a tree trunk of one of the sides so that it could keep until, you know, from June 30th to July 20th, which was the date of the fourth phase of the opening and people could visit. So it was an adventure and it, and at the end, we had a, a tour where people were invited. Everyone spoke of the work that we had seen over time, but it was fabulous to hear from each artist how their work came about. You know, I, I loved it. And I'm very happy about participating of the current from the inside looking out. I mean, this is a template for how artists would ideally like to be treated. That's how I felt. So well treated, you know, so, so bravo to, to Dario and to Enclave. It's a terrific organization. Yeah, for sure. And for listeners, Enclave is a nonprofit. It's a 501c3 organization. So they are looking for donations. They are looking for philanthropists and grant support. And you can make tax deductible donations through the website, which I will drop in the links. Uh, admission to the Queen's Botanical Garden is free through March. And then our show will continue through April 4th. So you have plenty of time to go see it if you're in New York City or Long Island or somewhere close by. <laughs> One thing right. I noticed it was that the community itself, they use the botanical gardens as a place to, to walk, to do exercise of nature. I, it, it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's a great feeling to go to the Queen's Botanical Garden. Yeah, and something that I did not know until this show, uh, well, the summer show, was that it is also a reclaimed landfill. Mm -hmm. So Amazing. that's pretty fascinating. <laughs> and, and do you know all that water that is around the building? There's a whole system of cleaning of the water and, uh, of, and getting cisterns for rainwater, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful place. Well, thank you so much, Cecilia. I really appreciate it. Uh, that's all the time we have, folks. Thanks for listening to the Badass Lady Folk podcast. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. You can find out more about me, Quail Bell Press and Productions, and everything else that was mentioned in my interview with Cecilia in the show notes. Tune Thanks. in next time. Thank you so much.